Uh, my name is Brandon Naramore. I'm the former senior pastor of a church called The Rock of Roseville. Uh, I'm now a business coach and church consultant. I've had the opportunity to work with the Bridgeway team these last few months on some strategic development. And uh, you guys have an amazing, amazing church, I just want to say. Uh, working with churches you never know. Come on, give it up for your leaders here. You never know when you start working with a church what it's like behind that Oz curtain. You know what I'm talking about? When you pull back that curtain, you don't know what's behind it. Uh, but I just want to affirm, Pastor Lance is not here this week, and so I get to brag on him. Uh, he's an amazing leader. He uh, stepped into my life about 10 years ago when he found out I was going to become a senior pastor and uh, has been a friend and a mentor, and he is the same guy on stage and off stage, and his wife Susie. Uh, it, you guys really are uh, blessed as a house. Your leadership team across the board uh, are really pursuing the Lord with everything. And I uh, just want to say this is good soil, a great house to sow into. Uh, again, one of the other great indicators they have is they help lead the city in unity. You know, we hear the book of Psalms is very clear. When brothers dwell together in unity, there's an anointing that happens. And what Bridgeway has done for the other city pastors in this region is, is really there's no adequate words. Again, this is an amazing church. You are blessed to be here, and I'm excited to join you today. Uh, I have four amazing kids. Here's a picture of my kiddos. Uh, 14, 12, 10, and 8. This is about a year and a half old, this photo. They have nearly doubled in size and are eating my fridge clean. Uh, it is a very exciting time at my house. Uh, believe it or not, I'm a single parent. Shout out to my other single parent friends out here. Come on, you guys are legends. Um, my journey in becoming a single parent is a longer story for another day, different seminar. But in 2020, uh, just like many of you, my life was turned upside down uh, and had amazing friends and mentors uh, come alongside me during that season. And uh, it's been a huge gift to have them support me during this time. And uh, stepped out of senior pastoring in September to focus on my family and their uh, teenage years as I work with them and develop them. And I, I love my kids so much. Uh, I'm in a wonderful relationship with a beautiful lady down the front row named Karina. Uh, she also has a few other young kids, and uh, we are a blended family. or becoming a blended family. Real life Brady Bunch. So you can just pray for us. Uh, we have committed to not get the 12-passenger van, though. We are going to do all we can to fight against that 12-passenger van. But bless you if you have one. Uh, I just want to shout out some of my, my friends that are here. i got my friends Nick and Claudia. They wrote a little, you got this, Brandon, on my notes today. Well done. I love that. And uh, my buddy Jake Taylor from the Father's House is here. Let's honor another pastor that's in the house. Great friends. And I got some other friends over here that were in youth group back in the day. We see Dylan and Brandon over there. So uh, it's, a, it's a huge honor to be here. Uh, I've worked with lots of churches and in so many familiar faces right now in this season. Bridgeway is our church home, although I help other churches. Uh, really blessed to be in this house. Um, so Pastor Lance reached out to me and he said, you know, we really are in a year of what we call the year of power. And uh, we are pursuing the Holy Spirit and power in this season. And uh, again, working with Lance for so many years, I now work with businesses and coach leaders. Uh, but he said, you know, I really would love it if you came and taught on healing. And so for me, back in my 20s, I traveled quite a bit uh, and would teach on healing. I don't do that as much as I used to now, but really wanted to just say, how can I support Bridgeway as a house? And he said, why don't you call your message Surprised by Power? And I said, great title. I love that. So today we are surprised by power, making the power of the gospel practical. And here's our goal is I, I just want to share some practical stories. Uh, I know 
oftentimes when a guest comes in, they can share stories and sound these amazing superheroes. I am a normal, normal person. I am cynical and uh, negative at times and practical and get angry at my kids just like every one of you. But from that, God can use broken vessels like us and all of our inadequacies. So today I'm going to share some stories. He said, just share your story of how God showed up in your life in power. So I'm going to pull back the kind of the the screen in my own life and and give you the blow by blow of how things happen. These are older stories uh, just because it's kind of my starting journey back when I was uh, late teen, early 20s. But from that, a lot of my modern stories um, I, I don't share as often because I don't want to compromise those relationships. You know, we have those, those stories that happen earlier in life that we can share that maybe there's been distance in the relationships. But a lot of those things that happen are private and aren't meant to be kind of just shared publicly all the time. Uh, so again, a lot of these stories are from the past, uh, but I really believe can encourage you today. Uh, that being said, if you get weirded out or frustrated with anything I say, just email Pastor Lance Hahn at bridgeway.church. Um, but I just really want to inspire. And then last night uh, and this morning, we've just seen God move. I want to leave some extra time today, so I'm, I'm cutting my intro out a little bit, um, just to talk a- about specifically what the Lord's healing. Last night, we saw two people with torn meniscuses get healed. Uh, a person with a ligament uh, tear in their elbow uh, started to see strength and, and, and pain go. I uh, saw another gentleman. We were not quite sure what he had, but he and his wife came forward. He said, while we were praying, All pain left his body instantly. So God is healing people. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Uh, And then in particular, I haven't said it till this service, but my mother is uh, just recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. And uh, she has been uh, at the door to meet Jesus quite a few times now these last few weeks. And so the leadership team here has been gracious. They've been praying for me. They gave me the option to not share this weekend, I said, no, we're going to go after healing at all costs. So I specifically, I have not done it the other services because I want to keep it together. Um, we're going to pray for cancer. So anybody here that has someone directly impacted by that, we're going to go after that with a, a time of prayer. Okay? So let's begin there. Uh, just so, as I'm about to share stories, uh, I want to get a couple verses out of the way so you can say, hey, this guy still does teach from the Bible. So that's good. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is one of our anchor verses this morning. It says this, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Romans chapter 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for this house. Thank you for that time of worship, that your presence so apparent. Holy Spirit, we just ask for an awareness and a sensitivity to you. Right now, we just receive the peace of the Lord, the shalom of God, just with your eyes closed. You've been in an anxious place in your life. Anxiety has really been affecting you. If that's you, just lift your hand up. Holy Spirit, we just declare peace. A lot of people here. Holy Spirit, we just ask for a peace that would surpass understanding. If you're comfortable and you're raising your hand, just stand up. We're going to keep anonymity, so please keep your eyes closed. But if you raised your hand for that, I just want to pray for you specifically. You see, you know what? I'm dealing with unusual anxiety recently. Thank you for standing. Just put your hands out in front of you. Hey, Jim. Holy Spirit, we just ask right now, would you come and meet my brothers and sisters? 
We break and take authority over the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, that it has no place in this house, has no place in their lives. But God, you would give them that peace that surpasses understanding. We just pray for any fear in the night, nightmares, whatever it is, restlessness, insomnia, that God rest and peaceful sleep would fill these houses. Jesus, we thank you that you heal. We ask that all pain would leave their bodies that's impacting them and causing fear or nervousness. In Jesus' name, you can go ahead and take a seat. And Father, right now, one last thing. I just want to pray for prodigals in the house. I really felt a burden for that this weekend. You've had a son or daughter walk away from faith where they had one time made a commitment and they have, they have walked away and you've been praying and believing for their turnaround. If that's you, just lift your hand up. Father, we ask right now, would you strengthen fathers and mothers? Strengthen them to intercede and believe for their children. It's not too late. Too much time has not passed. We pray for restoration of relationship where there's been conversations they wish they did not have, things they did not want to say. We just ask for grace to forgive. And right now I just feel like there's a, there's a dad or a mom here where you've had a lot of shame with some things you've said to that son or to that daughter. If that's you, just wave your hand at me. Father, we ask for grace and forgiveness now. Lord, we understand that death and life are in the power of the tongue, but your word is eternal and your word is life. And we just pray that you would cancel all those words that were said that had a negative impact. We declare freedom and healing and restoration of relationship. God, we lift this morning up to you. We thank you for your word that never returns void. We ask, God, that you move in power among us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up a little bit. Wake up. Get ready. Get ready. Don't you sleep on me today. Don't you sleep on me. It was March 2002, and uh, I was called by my leadership at my church. I was 18 at the time, and they asked me to become a church intern. They said, this is a year to set aside your life, to get trained up as a leader. They had classes in the morning. You would lead small groups in the afternoon. And what I soon found out afterwards is church intern really means church slave for free labor. That's really what it is. Six days a week, we had morning classes, a small break in the afternoon, small groups after school, and we lead youth ministry after night. It was quite a year, but again, a priceless year of impact and development. It really formed character within me, and I started to learn about unique concepts that I really wasn't exposed to before, and one of those major concepts was that Jesus still healed today. Now, I was a part of churches that believed in healing, but it was more one of those generalized things you would pray for. And so one day, uh, we would have this small break in the afternoon, and I would run to the gym. You guys remember Lord's Gym off of Atlantic Street? I'd run the Lord's Gym, work out, run home, and then lead small groups in the afternoon. Well, one day as I'm running back, it was, a, it was a March spring day, but you know our springs are like summer most of the time. It was one of those days that it was absurdly hot, uh, right in the middle of March, our summer was early. As I'm running, I see this man in this giant winter's jacket wearing a metal hard hat carrying this large bag of cans. And as I see him, I said, who on earth is wearing that in this weather? And as soon as I think that, this inner thought comes in, which I now can recognize as the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he says, go and offer to carry that man's bag. In which I reply, absolutely not. I have no time to do this. And I keep running. 
Well, if you've ever been to downtown Roseville, there are so many alleyways and back streets. Uh, it can get confusing. Well, I continue on my normal path over by the library, and I don't know what road this guy took or alleyway. This is a non-exaggerated story. And as I continue to run, there he is. He's ahead of me. <laughs> and I hear that same voice say, carry that man's bag, in which I start to now reply, recognizing it's the Lord, I don't have time. I have real gospel work to do. I have to go home and prepare this message and go and lead this small group. So I continue to run. So I run across the bridge over to Royer Park, and I'm running around Royer Park, up on Douglas. As I turn on Douglas, there he is right by Bud's dry cleaning. Not exaggerated. And so I see him there, and I'm like, okay, God means business. I'm looking for lightning bolts, you know, at this time if I reject it. And so I run up to him, and I'm 18, and I'm awkward. So I'm going to show you the ways not to pray for people. So I run up to him, and I'm like, excuse me, sir. He goes, oh, yes. Totally startle him. And I'm out of breath. I'm like, hey, I was just running by. I want to know if I can carry your bag. And he said, what? I said, I was running. I noticed you were carrying this giant bag. Could I, could I carry it for you? And he said, sure, that would be great. So I, I take his bag, and I said, where are we going? He said, well, we're going to the recycle center up the road. And I said, what are these cans for? And he said, well, I go around town and collect cans for my daughter. She's a single mom, and uh, I raise money for diapers and formula. So a sweet man. Turns out his name was Ralph. He was uh, in his late 60s, early 70s. And as we're walking there, I noticed that Ralph is dragging his right leg. I said, Ralph, what, what happened to your leg? And he said, well, I was in the military, and... My, my partner stepped on a landmine, and the, the shrapnel went out and severed all the nerves in my right leg. And so now I can't feel anything. I just kind of use it as a support. And then before I could stop myself, you ever say something without thinking? Yeah. Especially when it's under the Lord's influence. It's even worse. And I say, well, I believe Jesus heals today. Can I pray for you? And as I say it, I'm like, I can't put the words back in my mouth because I've never prayed for anybody before like this. And he says, uh, as I say it, I'm like, please say no, please say no, please say no. And he goes, that sounds great. I said, okay, well, we'll pray for you when you get to the recycle center. And then as we're walking, I'm just hoping that he forgets. So we finally walk to this recycle center right on Darlene and Riverside. And it was right next to this liquor store. As we, as we walk over there, and I'm kind of awkward for a minute, hoping that he'll forget. And he says, uh, you going to pray for me or what? I said, sure. He said, okay. What do you do? I said, um, where's, where was the pain or where was the injury? And he said, right here. Now, here's what not to do. So he points to his inner thigh, right? Right, right there. And I go, oh. And so I get on my knee and just thrust my hand into his inner thigh. I've learned now you ask permission. Ask him. You have to ask permission. But I hold my hand on his inner thigh and says, ooh, okay. <laughs> he says, now what? I said, well, I guess I pray. So I said, Lord, thank you for Ralph. Thank you for his life. You know, it's like that meet the parents prayer. It's like a terrible prayer. God, thank you for this day. And I, I just am running out of words. I said, Jesus, would you heal Ralph? And take away all this pain and let, him, let, him, let his leg work again. In Jesus' name, amen. Take my hand off his leg. And he says, now what? I said, I guess you try it out. He said, what do you want me to do? It's like, what couldn't you do before? He's like, well, I couldn't do this. 
Oh my. I could feel my leg. I could feel my leg. And Ralph literally does like one of those old minor dances inside of the parking lot at the grocery or the recycle center. Well, the power of the Lord shows up, and, and now I would understand the fear of the Lord is there, and I get so overwhelmed, I just say, okay, bye, and I run back to my dorm. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, and literally my inner dialogue is, I just saw the glory of God, and I have sin in my life, and the Bible says if you see God's glory, you'll die, so I think I'm going to die. So I am running and confessing every sin from my childhood, trying to make sure I stay alive. Run in my dorm. This is not an exaggeration. I'm there. I'm confessing. I'm praying. I'm crying. Have this come to Jesus moment. Realize I'm not going to die. So I call my pastor and tell him what happened. I said, I, I didn't do this. God did it. It's not me. I don't want to be prideful. He said, stop, stop. He said, it sounds like you have a gift of healing. I was like, gift of healing? He's like, yeah, just like we, we talked about. He explains 1 Corinthians 12. I said, okay, what do I do with it? He said, well, you just pray for people. I said, okay. Next thing I know, every small group and church meeting I'm at, someone needs prayer right next to me. Every time. Praying for healing. Lift their hand up. Brandon, can you pray? Sure, I guess I'll pray again. And God starts healing people. Well, I'm 18 years old. I assume this is just how normal life is. And then all of a sudden, as I continue to pray for people, I start getting these weird pictures that come to my mind. And I remember one instance where uh, there was another guy at the church, and he's talking to me. All of a sudden, I get this picture of his, of his like, intestines and his stomach. I was like, that's strange. I was like, hey, do you have stomach issues? He's like, that's weird. Why'd you ask me that? I was like, I, I don't know. We are just talking. I got this picture that came up in my, my mind, and he said, yeah, I do. I was like, do you have, like, an ulcer? He said, how'd you know? I said, I, I didn't. I, I just felt this thing. He said, well, yeah, I have to go in for a procedure this week. We've been visiting with the doctor, and, yeah, I've been in a lot of pain. I said, well, let's pray. So we pray. Next Sunday, he comes back and says, I was totally healed. Saw the doctor. All pain's gone. Did not need a surgery. Awesome, right? But we all know when God starts working in your life, the enemy takes notice. The enemy is on the prowl. He is a lion that looks to seek, kill, and destroy. And as he's looking around, what he'll do is he'll try to intimidate you. When that intimidation doesn't work, he uses his other weapon called the spirit of religion. And he brings a religious mindset into play. And religion sounds like this. It is fear, shame, obligation, condemnation, guilt. And he starts bringing this in. And so all of a sudden, I become real paranoid. And I feel everywhere I go, if I don't pray for somebody, that I am disobeying God and not honoring him, right? And so I'm going to miss an opportunity. And so rather than being led by God's spirit, which I was, I start being led by my own observations. And so every time I walk to a grocery store or go to church, if I see somebody with a cast on or a crutch, I instantly go and I felt obligated to pray. And so what I noticed happened is I start praying for people and, and no one's getting healed. And so I'm living in this real paralyzed state, not knowing what to do. Frustration's growing. I'm feeling embarrassed. And one day I'm driving back from my friend's house in Newcastle. It was New Year's Eve, 2003. As I'm driving back, I'm having this argument with God. You ever have one of those real conversations with Jesus? 
And so it was one of those where I start quoting scripture back at God like he doesn't know what it is. And so what I love about the Psalms is that David is incredibly honest with Yahweh. He's incredibly honest, and he's not afraid to pen those things. And people ridicule the Psalms, but David was just courageous enough to say what we think. All of us go through these things. If we actually came to terms with what's in our heart and got those things out and shared them with God, we'd be in a much better place. And so I'm having this angry conversation with Jesus, and I start yelling scripture at him. I'm like, you said... If your son asked for fish, you would not give him a snake. You said if your son asked for bread, you would not give him a stone. Why then do I pray for the sick and they're not healed? And I have this, this bold prayer. Well, I can't quite describe it, but as I'm driving, I get this vision in my mind. I can still see the road, but I'm like in this vision. It took me a while to understand these theologically. I didn't have the, the grasp for it at that time. And I'm standing at this ocean shore. And while I'm at the shore of this ocean, this giant tidal wave is coming. And this wave then comes and crushes me, and I'm swept away by this wave. Well, the vision then replays, and I'm now standing on this giant rock. And as I'm on this rock, the same wave is coming, and the rock breaks the crest of the wave. And I hear this inner voice that I now know is the Holy Spirit I hear this voice say, the power you're contending for will kill you unless you're grounded in my character. And it just landed. You know when God speaks. And I understood from that day forward that God was forming me in his image and likeness. That's a painful process. And he wanted to show me that the power does not come from me. It's from him. 2 Corinthians 12 talks about that our power is perfected in weakness. His power is perfected in weakness. I think another great glimpse is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The dunamis power of God, this healing power, this explosive power, it doesn't come from you. It comes from him, and he chooses, chooses these weak, feeble, broken vessels called us. He chooses you. See, so many of us disqualify ourselves from what God's calling us to. We live under a cloak of shame, or we feel that we haven't been trained or prepared enough. I hear so many believers say, what's my calling? What's my purpose? And we get paralyzed to not fulfill our calling or our purpose until we have this audible voice moment. Now, I shared a few moments like that, but those are few and far between. See, a lot of us are asking, what's my calling? What's my purpose? And I actually think it's the wrong question that we're asking. You see, when we look up that term calling in the New Testament, Greek word kaleo, it has to do with being called or summoned, and it's speaking of a position of privilege. It's the recipient of a benefit, is a kaleo or a calling in the context of the Bible. What we notice is this, is that our calling was secured at the cross. That Jesus actually solidified our calling at the cross. And what we notice is throughout the New Testament that calling often has to do with our new position in Christ. 
We are called as sons and daughters. We now have the authority of royalty as sons and daughters of a king. We are called friends of God, meaning that we're close to him. We are called a kingdom of priests. This all has to do with status and position that we now have the opportunity to live from. And the question that we need to really be asking is not what is my calling, but what is my assignment in this season? See, our calling is secure. Our assignment is seasonal. And as I work with business leaders, and I, and I love this, people that are adopting kingdom business principles where they're saying, you know, I don't want to just work for God or without God. I want to work with God. And they have this personal awakening, which is beautiful to watch, but I've seen this time and time again. Maybe I should sell my business and work for a church. Let me give you a word of wisdom. Absolutely not. That is not, the world does not need more professional ministers. The world needs on-fire disciples for Jesus, called you. That's what it is. And we get paralyzed in the Western church where we think ministry is reserved for those that are occupationally paid. This is not true. It's very clear in the New Testament that the main role of church leaders is to who? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you. That's us. That's me. Our job is to be equipped so we go out and are not bound by these four Walls. See, Jesus has called his church to heal a lost and broken world. I'm going to re-say that because it's the fill-in, and I think I said it wrong. Let's do that again. Jesus has chosen his, the church to bring healing to a lost and broken world. I was close. I was close. See, when we hear the word church, we often think of a four-walled structure like we're sitting in. Or we think of this, this beautiful chapel-like scenario where you get married one day, hint, hint, to my lady. Ow! We think of these quaint structures, or we think of lights and stage and sound and smoke machine. But let me just tell you, when you heard the word church in the first century, they weren't thinking of this. They weren't thinking of a service that maybe if I show up at 11.15, the coffee will still be out there. And I won't have to listen to that song I don't like that they continue to sing and play every weekend. That wasn't church. See, what we learn is if you actually look up the word church in the New Testament, you won't find it very often. Because what we actually learn is our definition of church is woefully inaccurate for what the New Testament is. And the reason why you won't find the word church is because it describes something that then the New Testament apostles write about and Jesus allude to. They use metaphors to describe the church of Jesus called the ecclesia. See, we actually only have one time when Jesus says the word church. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. I want to set the backdrop to what this is. Matthew 16, we see Jesus traveling with his disciples and he walks through a region called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was known for one major thing, and that was occult worship. There were multiple altars in this city where people would come and pay homage to their deity or demon god, right? So here's a picture of this place called Pan's Grotto. 
This is modern day where you can see it. If you notice on the right side, there's these etched areas. These are altars for different idols. But the main attraction was actually to the left. There's this giant opening on the cliffside that leads to water. And this specific area is known as the gates of hell. So what they would do is they would sacrifice to their demon gods, specifically Pan. Uh, Again, when we think of Peter Pan, which is what he's named from, you can't look up the idol Pan. It's so foul how he's described. And so they would take these sacrifices, sometimes human sacrifice, throw it in the mouth of the opening of the cliffside, and then if the sacrifice was received, the water would wash it away. If it was rejected by the god, it would um, wash back up on the shore. That was the gates of hell. As Jesus is walking through this region, he starts to have a conversation with Peter about the Messiah. As he goes back and forth, he then declares this statement, Matthew 16, verse 18. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Changes the context a little bit. See, as this backdrop where there's these demonic altars that are used for worshiping demon gods, he says, I'm going to build a church, I'm going to build an ecclesia that overpowers the darkness. I'm going to build a church that will rival all those things that bind and bound people. See, for too long the church has been on the defensive, not the offensive. We have been bound by silence and political correctness and hope that we don't offend people. Let me tell you this, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is an offensive thing that will make people irritated. It's a stumbling stone. Now, this need for boldness and courage, unfortunately, in the modern Western church has been adopted in the political arena. Oh, I'm going to go there. And we think that our expression of faith and being bold from our faith is our declaration of being a Republican or a Democrat. But let me tell you something. Jesus is neither Republican, Democrat, or Green Party. He is king. And that's all that matters. Amen. And our political allegiance is not assigned to some party in Washington. My citizenship is in heaven, and his name is Jesus, and he's doing a new thing on the earth. That's where my political alignment is. So people ask, do you vote? Yes, of course I vote, and I have political party affiliations. I don't care about those things. What I care about is seeing Congress and the Senate impacted and praying for our leaders. And guess what? When Paul was talking about praying for your leaders in government, they're talking about Nero, who's killing Christians. Wake up, church. Don't pray or not pray for a government or a president based off their political affiliation. We'll let that sit there. So Jesus says... He's going to build this ecclesia, this church. Now, if you look at this term, ecclesia, in a Google search, you'll see this phrase, the called out ones. And that's a generalized definition of this term. We find that there's multiple expressions in the first century. And an ecclesia, at its core root, what Jesus is referring to is this. It's a people with a shared belief, a community with a common identity. The church is a people with a shared belief, a community with a common identity. 
Now, church was not just a word that we would use. Ecclesia was not just a word we would use. Ecclesias were often founded by philosophers or political leaders. They would form their own ecclesia, and that body or grouping of people would then take on the identity and characteristics and message of that leader. So Jesus is forming this new ecclesia, and what we notice all throughout the New Testament, the gospels and the epistles, is they reference this church. They say that the church is a shepherd and its sheep, the vine and its branches, the head and a body with many members, a cornerstone and a living stone in a new temple. It's a high priest and a kingdom of priests. It's a bridegroom and a bride. That's the beauty of this ecclesia, this church that Jesus is forming. And he says that his church, his body will have a certain role. His church is called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the display of the wisdom of God, that which restores and repairs brokenness in the world, 2 Corinthians 5. It is the representation of his kingdom. That is the church. And what Jesus does is he equips his church with a gospel. Now, when we hear the word gospel, we think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's our basic definition of gospel. We actually learn is that gospel is far deeper than that. See, 1 Corinthians 15 has a great expression of Paul's understanding of gospel, but here's the thing we have to understand. If the gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what gospel did Jesus preach before the cross? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. For the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, you say, well, wait. You mean he wasn't talking about the cross? Remember, he tells his disciples that he's going to be risen from the dead, but not to tell anybody. So obviously his gospel had some different implications. When we look at the term gospel, it's the term in Greek, euangelion. Now, a euangelion was often given from a king to a messenger. And they would use this term gospel. It was actually a war term. And so the king would write a message of good news that declared a victory over a region or over an empire. And so this king would give his euangelion, his gospel, to a messenger they would call an evangelist. So these evangelists or these heralds would go and declare the good news or the gospel of the current victory. Now, this certain gospel that they would carry would be sealed by the king, and this was to avert what they called false gospels. They would spread these false gospels, the war they were fighting or the different regions would say, actually, they did not won, did not win, and so they would send out these false gospels. But if it had the seal of the king and the messenger that was marked by the king, they knew that it was the true gospel. What we notice is this, that the Jewish community understood that the Messiah would come and carry the gospel of Yahweh, the good news of Yahweh. And this news, as we see this phrase in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, we see good news pop up all throughout Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all through those phrases. And it's pointing towards, in Daniel, pointing towards the gospel of the Messiah. 
So what gospel did Jesus preach as he was here doing ministry? Our clearest snapshot of his gospel is found in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, he enters a synagogue. As he goes there, it was his hometown called Nazareth. He grabs the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up and he reads this in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, a euangelion to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what we learn and understand is the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of freedom that sets captives free. This is now the gospel we carry. And what's the main adjective that you begin to describe with Jesus when he teaches that Jesus has what? Authority. He carries this exousia with him, that things are expelled out, things are cast out when he speaks. He has weight and authority with him. Right after that, Luke chapter 4, it says he starts to heal the sick and set the demonized free. That's what happens. But unlike most ecclesias or leaders, he then shares or transfers that authority to his followers. Matthew chapter 10, he calls his 12 to him and it says he gives them authority over unclean spirits and to heal the sick. But this movement, this contagion starts to spread. The gates of hell start to shake and there are so many people coming to follow Jesus that they can't contain it. So Jesus then in Luke chapter 10 calls 70 to him. And what does he do? He gives them authority to heal the sick and set the oppressed free. Well, you say, well, that authority was just for then. It was just for that time. Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We call this the Great Commission. That same authority that was on the 12, that was on the 70, now rests in us. You now carry the same authority of Jesus' gospel as he did. And what we notice is this euangelion, this gospel, is the fullness and the life of ministry that is now available for us. That's something to get excited about, church. That's a good thing to know. You're still, you're still giving me that look like, uh, is he pulling a fast one on us? Probably. So he equips his church with this gospel, this gospel of authority, and he gives them these practical steps on how to share this gospel. This concept in Luke chapter 10, when we'll finish, and I'll share one last story before we pray. Uh, is a simple strategy called the person of peace. My mentor, Mike Breen, developed this. It is a, a brilliant, brilliant concept that I use all the time in building relationships and leading people to the Lord. So in Luke chapter 10, he gives them this authority. He appoints them. And then he says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, we often think that people aren't ready for Jesus. But Jesus is the judge of that. 
See, we're really bad at judging people's character and readiness. Think about when Samuel anointed David. He looks at everybody's external appearance, but there's one left, and God says to Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And see, when we start to become spirit-led and listening to the Lord, we start to recognize there's harvest everywhere. everywhere. It's all the time. But we're really bad judges as if the fruit is ripe or not. You ever pull like a premature apple? Tastes awful. You ever like pick a, 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 like a raw tomato that's unripened? It's awful. See, when we pull the fruit prematurely, we try to, oftentimes in the Western world, force gospel on people. We try to force these things to happen. Let me just give you some practical tips. Number one, they often don't need your memorized Romans road. They often don't need what you learned at the last evangelism seminar. They need the gospel in you. That's it. See, your most powerful gospel tool is actually your testimony. Revelation chapter 12. We overcome by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that word testimony is actually where we get the word martyr, believe it or not. Every time you share your story, something dies in you. Every time you share what God's done in your life, that old man starts to fade away more and more. So your greatest gospel is actually the story of Jesus' transformation in you. Sure, we share about the death, burial, and resurrection, the beauty of the cross, but God's transforming work in you is the most powerful witness. Don't hide your story. The harvest is plentiful. He goes on to say this in verse 3. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, Jesus, I believe, had an extraordinary sense of humor. And this is one of his jokes. See, when we often think of the word lamb or sheep, we think of these cute, innocent things. My cute lamb. How could I ever eat a lamb burger after seeing that, right? When actually, when he mentions sheep or lamb, this is what they think of. It's actually an insult on us. See, sheep are dumb and fat and smelly. And they can't protect themselves. And this is what Jesus is saying. I send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. It's dangerous and you'll die without me. That's really what he's saying. You see, sheep had to be so dependent on the shepherd. They had to listen to the shepherd's voice. I studied first century shepherding. And what I found out was this, and even modern shepherds in Palestine do this, they make up their own language. They create their own language and own tone that their sheep know their voice and don't get distracted by another shepherd. You have to be so in tune with Jesus' voice, but honestly, so many of us are drowned out by so many voices, we can't recognize the voice of our father and shepherd. You have to shut off social media. Again, our mind diet is so toxic. We get so concerned about what we eat, yeah, which again has a huge impact, but your mind diet is way out of whack in the American world, specifically in the church. We have to make sure that we're renewing our mind, Romans 12, with his word. There we go. Verse four. 
says, carry no purse, carry no bag, no sandals, greet no one on the road. What is he really saying? He says, everything you need, you already have. We are overpackers and overpreparers. We often look like this guy. You know you do. But I need this, and I need this, and I need this. If only Pastor Brian would teach me a class and train me and disciple me. If only Pastor Lance would like call me once a week and walk me through the Gospels. Stop! You have the Holy Spirit who's your chief teacher and encourager. Do we need mentors and disciples in our life? Absolutely. They complement what the Holy Spirit's already doing in you. We have to learn to hear his voice. You have everything you need. You're equipped for the task at hand. We're going to walk and we can close this out really quick. He gives kind of a generalized overview on how evangelism works. It's a concept called the person of peace. He says, number one, you go and look for the house to open up to you. And that place where peace rests, that's the house you stay in. This is verse 5. I'm going to give an abbreviated version. So what do, what do we do? How do we practically share the gospel? Number one, you look for the open door. Look for the open door. Don't force relationships to happen. I'm really bad at this. I'm very pushy. But God will open up doors naturally, and we walk through those. How do you know if there's an open door? Number one, you carry the, the peace of God, the shalom of God with you. Right now it says 57% pre-COVID already dealt with dehabilitating anxiety. More than one out of two, and I believe it's probably two out of three now, are dealing with an overwhelming sense of anxiety. Because of the Holy Spirit in you and the peace of God that rests in you, you naturally allow people to let their guard down and to feel seen and heard. So a key indicator of an open door is when someone starts to share their life with you. And watch, you'll notice this. You could be at the sauna, at the gym, or at the grocery store. You're checking out, and all of a sudden, that grocery checker just starts sharing everything about their life. And your kids are going crazy, and they're stealing candy from the bin. And you're trying to hold them back. Like, Stop it. And then they keep talking, and you're like, can they get a clue that my kids are crazy right now? And they keep talking, and you hear this, this key phrase, I've never shared that with anybody before. They probably haven't. But the peace of God in you stirred their spirit enough to recognize you were safe. That's an indicator of a person of peace. One of the best places for me is the sauna at the gym. It's, it's awkward. They're half naked, sweaty. But I have seen so many people come to know Jesus in that sauna. <laughs> the worst is when they open up their life and you're like at your minute limit and you're like getting nervous because you're so hot and they're pouring out everything. It's like, Jesus, please let this end. Please let this end. Please let this end. See, God uses these opportunities to build relationships that turn into transformation moments. I'm gonna let you in on one last trick here. What I do, whenever I meet somebody and I would recognize them as a person of peace, I pull out my phone, not in front of them, when I walk away and I keep notes on those people. I know, the CIA grabbed my phone, I'm like mega creeper, like big time. <laughs> but you, you keep little notes, and this leads us to our point number two. Is that when they open the house to you, it continues on verse seven and eight. It says, eat what's set before you. Don't leave the house, remain in the house. 
When God opens up a door for you, it's now time to listen and learn about their life. Listen and learn. They do not need your lecture. We're really good at lecturing, and we're really good at climbing the, climbing the ladder of inference and assuming what they need. Stop. The media is shouting at them. Everybody is shouting at them. Everybody is vying for their time. Give them the gift of your time and your attention. And, and listen and have an inner dialogue with the Lord as to, okay, what do you want me to say? And, and pictures might pop to your mind or implications might pop to your mind. And when he gives you a word, don't share it immediately. Some of us are so like quick to share things that maybe we need to sit on for a little bit. Write those things down and pray, and you'll know when the opportunity presents itself to share something that's significant. The last thing is this. He says, cure the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, verse 9. This word cure is where we get the word therapy. It means to heal and restore. The last thing we're doing is when God looks for the open door and he opens the door to you and you listen and learn about them, the question we need to ask is how do I love them? How do I heal them? Not just physically, but their heart. See, salvation is the most important part of all of this. See, oftentimes I would just pray for the healing and I'd miss the moment. Think about Mark chapter 2. When the man comes in, he's carried in by his friends. They rip the ceiling open. They lower him down. What does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Well, the man can't walk. But the issue of his heart was greater concern. We didn't understand the shame that that man lived in. It's a longer conversation to talk through. But then after that, God healed his body. One of our intercessors gave a word that there are people here today dealing with dehabilitating condemnation from sin. God wants to set you free from that today. So when you take these principles and put them to practice, God will start to open up opportunities. I'm going to share one last story, and we're going to go close here. It was, uh, it was probably 21 I lived in a neighborhood that was really dangerous. Everybody says they lived in a dangerous neighborhood. I legitimately lived in a dangerous neighborhood. So there were certain streets you could not run down if you wanted to run back. And so this was an apartment complex that was notorious for gang violence, and I would have to run by it to get to the trails that I would run on. As I'm running across this apartment, uh, I see this lady in this wheelchair, and I, I run up to her and I say, hey, I just saw you in a wheelchair. Is everything okay? And she said, no, it's not mine. It's actually my dad's. He says, what happened to your dad? She said, well, he just got out of surgery. He had his right leg amputated. I said, you know, I'm a pastor. Would you mind asking your dad if I could pray with him? He said, sure, I'll go ask. So she walks in, comes out, and she said, yeah, my, dad, my dad's good with you coming in. So I walk in, and, and here he is on this bed, and he is, to this day, the nicest man I've ever met in my life. His name was Anderson, 67 years old. And Anderson's there, and I said, Anderson, I'm a pastor. I'd love to pray with you. I was like, you know, we're going to pray. What can I pray for? He said, please just pray that I don't get an infection, that the wound heals well. He said, can you pre please pray for my hands? My hands are in so much pain. And he lifts up his hands, and he has rheumatoid arthritis, and they're completely crippled and twisted. I said, we're going to pray. So I pray for Anderson. I say, you know, I live nearby. Would you mind if I come back and visit you? He said, please come back and visit me. So I ended up visiting Anderson once a week for two years. And so I would come and pray with Anderson. And one day, I come to his house, and he says, Brandon, things aren't good. Things aren't good. I said, what's that, Anderson? He said, they're going to have to amputate my left leg. I said, well, then let's pray. And he, and he lifts up his pants, 
and his left knee is swollen literally like a balloon. I said, okay, let's pray. And as we're praying, we see it shrinking down. I said, Anderson, are you seeing this? He says, oh, I'm seeing it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm seeing it. And it shrinks down. I said, Anderson, Jesus just healed your knee. He said, watch this. He straightens it out. I said, yeah, you can move your leg. He's like, no, you don't understand. My kneecap was twisted to the left. It's straight. God totally healed his knee. So we're celebrating and thanking God. One day I go back to his house and knock on the door, and his daughter, Marsha, answers. I say, is Anderson here? She's like, no, he's not here. Starts to shut the door. I was like, is everything okay? She said, no, lost my job. I said, is everything all right? You want me to come in? She said, no, I prefer if you leave. I said, okay, well, praying if you, if, you, if you need anything. So I leave, and as soon as I leave, I start walking towards my house. I just hear the Lord say, give her the money in your wallet. Oh, I'm mad. <laughs> Go to Bible school, work part-time, do youth ministry at night. I barely have any money. And so I go home, and I say, Lord, all I have is $20. I said, give her your $20. I have this conversation with God. She better use it on the right things, right? You ever put those conditions on what God gives you? So I walk back, put it in an envelope, knock on the door, and she says, yeah? I said, hey, I was just, I was just praying, and God told me to give you this. What's this? Opens it up. Are you serious? I said, yeah, it's, it's not much. It's all I have. She's like, come on in. Opens the door. She opens the door. There's her friend Lisa laying on the couch with her leg propped up, and there's her son sitting on the opposite end, and he's the leader of the local gang. And so as we're there, uh, I said, Lisa, is everything okay? What happened? She said, oh, man, it's not good. I tore my, my ligament in my knee. I can't move it. It's all swollen. It's in pain. And now I can't go to the doctor. I don't have health insurance. I said, okay. And then Marsha chimes in. Hey, aren't you going to pray for her? I said, Lisa, are you open with me praying for you? She said, ah, okay. Like, what do we do? I was like, I just come over and pray. And I look over to her son because, again, this is his mom. You don't make this guy mad. And he kind of gives me the head nod. So I come over and I say, okay, I'm going to just put my hand on your knee. So I start to pray. And I said, uh, can, we, can we test it out? And she said, what do you mean? I was like, well, how are we going to know if it's healed unless if we do something we couldn't do? She's like, what? I was like, why don't we just stand up? So I grab her hand. She stands up, locks her knee out, and starts going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. God completely heals her knee, fully restored. And as we're praying, all of a sudden, she starts confessing all of her own sin. God, I'm sorry for this, and God, I'm sorry for this. She leads herself to Jesus. She literally recommits her life to the Lord without me saying a word. And we're there, and that whole family got saved. Incredible story. Her son comes up to me after that and says, thank you for praying for my mom. See, God used a simple, curious, open door that turned into the transformation of a family. See, if we start to understand that you carry a story, that none of us are extra special, we all have the same Holy Spirit, that when you walk in his power and he opens up natural relationships, it's a simple thing of, hey, can I pray? That's it. And let God do the rest. What I've noticed is even when you stumble and fumble with your words and you stutter, they never notice. We do, they don't but God always does the work. Let's stand together and pray.
Jesus, we just thank you again for your work. I'm going to pull up these words that somebody sent me. Thank you for your kindness. God, we pray that you would release boldness in this church. That, God, you would give us courage, as Pastor Lance prayed last week, Acts chapter 4. That, God, you would extend your hand to heal. That you would take note of the enemy's threats. And, God, today we put on notice all sickness and disease in this house. For those watching online, my mother as well, God, we come in the name of Jesus and we say, cancer be gone in Jesus' name. If you or a loved one are battling with cancer, lift up your hand right now. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus, if you see a hand lifted up near you, don't be weird. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Don't do anything funny. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Let's pray. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus, all sickness go now. Cancer go now. We pray for those loved ones. We ask right now that the bones would be strengthened. That lymphomas would go in Jesus' name. All demonic attack would leave in Jesus' name. We see the restoration of life. God, we thank you that you canceled death at the cross, that you conquered the grave, and we release your healing in this house. We thank you, Jesus, for your healing over cancer. We're going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray for those with any thyroid issues. Just lift up your hand, those online. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that you restore the thyroid. Even the effects of thyroid cancer, whatever nodules have been developed, Lord, we pray for a radical transformation, that you would heal the body's metabolism and hormone regulation. All the endocrine system would be healed in Jesus' name. We pray for blood disease. We're not sure exactly about that word. Someone sent it to us. If you have a blood disease or infection of some kind, just lift up your hand. Father, we command in the name of Jesus, this blood disease would go to a few people here, those online, that God, you would heal and restore, make the blood pure. Life is in the blood. We just command in Jesus' name all ribs that are displaced in the back to be healed and restored. We pray for this nodule in the lung to go in Jesus' name. We also ask for shoulder pain to decrease, that you restore full mobility. Lord, in the rotator cuff, that God, you would restore and heal bodies. We also pray for those that are dealing with self-loathing, self-hatred. This is a personal one. Please close your eyes here. If you've been dealing with that sense of self-disgust, when the enemies come in, there's an assault on your life, slip your hand up if that's you. Father, we cancel every demonic thought and assignment in Jesus' name. We pray for those that are struggling with their gender identity. That God, you would restore them. That God, they would know that they're made in your image and likeness. Male and female, he made them. Holy Spirit, we just cancel every accusation of the enemy. Silence fear. We pray for a fresh release of hope. Last thing, you've been dealing with unusual depression. Just lift your hand up. Father, we release joy in Jesus' name. The joy of the Holy Spirit would be our strength. Restore them and release hope in this house. This would be a house of hope, a house of healing, house of strength for the nations that God, we would see a mighty work in our midst. We thank you, Jesus, and we honor you today in your name. Amen. Give a shout to Jesus.